Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Peter. First day, I'm already breaking stuff. This is awesome. Grace abounds. So thankful for Pastor Peter. I met Pastor Peter 2011, my, my freshman year. Um, and at the time, church met on campus at Texas State. And I had never experienced uh, church in the non-denominational realm. I grew up culturally Catholic. And so when I first time I went to church, I saw this random white guy greet me at the door. That same guy was doing announcements, then leading worship, and then preaching the word. And I thought to myself, man, this priest, he's got it. This is awesome. And, and lo and behold, it was Pastor Peter leading our church, in, and he's been in my life ever since, and I would not be here without Pastor Peter. So can we just give some honor to Pastor Peter for being our wonderful leader? So this week, good morning once again. Uh, thank you so much for making the commitment to be out here this hot morning, uh, despite everything that's going on, whether it's the, the sun blazing on you, uh, the environment that we're in, I truly believe that God's going to bless your commitment to be here. There's something so sacred about the church gathering and lifting up the name of Jesus, opening up the word of God, that the Holy Spirit comes and does something that wouldn't be able to be done on your own, in your room, by yourself. And so thank you for being here. Now, where we find ourselves this morning is in week two of our series, People of the Way. Uh, Now, a little background about this series. Before the nickname Christian uh, started to gain traction, the earliest followers of Jesus were called followers of the way or followers on the way. They were called this simply because they were following the way of their master, following the patterns and lifestyle of Jesus, who was the way, the truth, and life. The earliest title for the Christian community in the book of Acts is the way. And this community would eventually be called the church. So the goal of this seven-week series is to examine seven, several different elements of the viral movement of the early church and see how those truths and realities are still available to us today. So this morning we find ourselves in Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 13. So will you stand with me to honor the reading of God's word? And if you're joining us via live stream, thank you so much for being with us this morning. We truly believe that you are here with us. So will you please stand to honor the reading of God's word in your home or wherever wherever you're watching this. Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at verses Actually, one through four. It says this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Verse three. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Verse four. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated as we pray. Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that you would come work a miracle right now. Lord, I pray that you would supernaturally bring shade. Lord, I pray that you would supernaturally protect us from sunburn. Lord, I pray that you would come and meet us here today, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would leave different than when we walked in and that your word would take residence in our heart. 
Lord, I pray that these hearts would be good soil for the seed to take root and grow. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to get a good tan after this. I'm excited. Reese is going to join me. I'm pumped. Shout out to Reese. Uh, So personally, one of the most exciting places I've ever been in in my short life was the delivery room. So many of you know that I'm a brand new dad. Uh, My son was born earlier this month, August 6th. Shout out to him. He's probably watching. He can crawl and walk. Just kidding, not yet. Um, He's the best. I can say that now. Also, uh, be prepared for just the onslaught of illustrations using my child. I used to make fun of pastors for doing that, but I'm just going to start doing that now because it's easier. So here it goes. Here's my first one. You ready? So my son was born earlier this month on August 6th, and being in the delivery room was by far the most exciting place I've ever been in. Now, my wife may have a very, very different opinion uh, for very good reason, uh, but I loved it. I loved every moment of it. I loved the the high-intensity environment. I loved being in the room where every half hour a different person was walking in, and it was just like extrovert heaven. Like, this was awesome. Uh, And there was so much around it. There was a long-anticipated event. I mean, my wife got pregnant, and then we're waiting all these months, and finally, this day has arrived. A day with a lot of sacrifice built up into it. A day with a lot of uncertainty. And all in one moment, after hours and hours of laboring, my son was born. I have no words for it. And from that moment on, my life was never the same. Now, what happens is that I live my life so differently because everything I do, I do with him in mind. Like, there was this moment where I left the hospital and I thought to myself, like, man, I'm carrying a little human out of here. This is different. Uh, And there's still moments where it hits me that uh, I left my son uh, on the couch while my wife was taking a shower, and I forgot that he exists, and I got to go get him. And uh, sorry, babe. Apologize. But I'm learning that everything I do, it's with him in mind. It's no longer my own life, but he's a part of my life. And from that moment on, from leaving that delivery room, Nothing was ever the same for us. Now, what I want to do this morning is I want to take you back 2,000 years to a different delivery room. In Acts chapter 2, we find ourselves in a delivery room, so to speak, when the church is born. A movement is born that's going to revolutionize the world, and from that moment on, the world will never be the same. This specific person, a person, inaugurates this event, sets it forward, and this person is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit not only came, the Holy Spirit stayed. So I want to look at verse 1 together as we open up this text. It says this, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So what's happening here? Let's backtrack. In chapter 1 of this book, the risen King Jesus instructs his followers not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. The promise that he's speaking about is the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Old Testament prophesied, spoke about this event years before it happened. In Joel 2, 28, 32, it says this, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. 
You see, God promised in the Old Testament to pour out his spirit on all flesh. And during the ministry of Jesus, this is what he taught about. He taught about the Holy Spirit coming, and he made the exact same promise. The promise that we would be able to experience God's empowering presence in an unrestricted manner. You see, the presence of God is one of the most significant themes in the Bible. At the very heart of worshiping God and having a relationship with him is experiencing his presence. You see, in the garden, humankind experienced and enjoyed the presence of God in a very personal way. But that was so short-lived. You see, Adam and Eve sin, and they're driven out of the garden, away from the close, intimate presence of God. And so throughout the rest of the scripture, God unfolds this plan. This plan to restore this lost relationship, a relationship that centers on his presence. See, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the reason why we see brokenness out there is because there's brokenness in here. And this brokenness has its root in the garden when our relationship with God was severed. And from that moment on, all of the world as we know it is out of sync, out of order, not functioning the way that God designed it to be. And so in the Old Testament, God's presence no longer resides in the hearts of people. Rather, we see it in the tabernacle or in the temple. We see it temporarily dwelling on people, but not remaining. It comes and it goes. In fact, the prophet Ezekiel describes this somber moment in in the history of Israel and Judah. As the glory and presence of God depart from the temple, Because they repeatedly chose to abandon God and turn to worshiping idols. And from that moment in Ezekiel chapter 10 until the arrival of Jesus, the Jews lived without the presence of God dwelling in their midst. And yet in spite of this, God chose God continues to initiate and unfold his plan for us to experience unhindered relationship and presence with him. In fact, Ezekiel writes down these words in light of all this. This is what he says in chapter 36, verse 26 to 28. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. Why? Because that old heart and that old spirit is what's causing the brokenness inside of you that is not enabling God's presence to dwell inside you. And he says, I will Remove it, and in that place I will give you a new heart, a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my ways and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave you to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Did you catch that? God's people, over a period of 400 years, has consistently committed adultery against God. Ezekiel even calls the people of Israel an unfaithful spouse. And yet in God's great love for his creation, he speaks these words. He's not giving up. God chooses to remain faithful to his promise. He chooses to remain faithful to this promise that he will make 
a dwelling place in the hearts of his people and put his presence with his people. And he remained faithful to that promise despite us. And in Acts chapter 2, the chapter we opened with today is a wonderful reminder of God's promise-keeping nature. No longer are we limited to experience God's presence in the temple. Rather, under this new covenant, the presence of God will indwell his people. The presence of God will live inside of us. Now, how is this possible? Here's the answer. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The triune God working together to rescue you from sin, reconcile you, bring you back into relationship with God, restoring you, and renewing a broken, sinful people. What happened in Acts in this moment is not a past event, but is a current reality that has been made available for all of us. In this chapter, the Spirit of God not only came temporarily, the Spirit of God has stayed, and He has not left. I love the way author Tony Marita describes this moment. He says, the day of Pentecost was like a mayor installing a great water system in a city. From that point forward, every time a new home is built, households can connect to the water system. In other words, the day of Pentecost was the installation of God's new source of blessing and power for the benefits of his people. Now every person who turns to Christ in repentance and faith has access to this great source of power. I don't know about you, but living the Christian life, following the ways of Jesus, if you haven't noticed this by now, is not natural. That's really, really good news, okay? To put it more bluntly, you stink at following Jesus without Jesus. It's just the reality of it. So if you've been trying to follow Jesus and you've ended up disappointed with your progress or with your sin or, or turning back to your old ways and you, and you find yourself doing it all out of your own efforts, here's the good news. God has made available for you wonderful miracle working power, the Holy Spirit power of Jesus working through you and enabling you to have the life and victory of Jesus. So you can stink less at following Jesus because you have the power of Jesus. I hope that makes sense. The kids' church got it in the back. Shout out to them. So let's look at the specific details of this moment. Let's look at verse 2 and 3. It says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Okay, so at first glance, these verses seem kind of strange. Like uh, when asked, what did you learn in church? You can say that, that you learned about wind and, and fire shaped like tongues. It's a great time. Usually that lands better. You love it. <laughs> Stay with me. It's hot. <laughs> okay, so for, for you and I, it's really easy to dismiss the imagery that's happening here and miss the significance uh, because we live stateside. Okay, we live in the United States of America, and unless you're personally Jewish, uh, you're pretty disconnected from this Eastern Jewish world. 
So when we think of, of wind and fire, we, we probably think earth, wind, and fire, okay? Uh, our, our minds don't go to very many places when considering wind and fire. But wind and fire possess rich biblical significance. If you were in that room and you were part of that culture and you're experiencing this, you're seeing this wind and fire come into the room, it would have naturally been an intimidating experience because that sort of thing doesn't happen. But you would have known the significance of the moment. So let's take a closer look. It says they're, they're gathered and Luke, the author of Acts, says a sound like a mighty rushing wind filled the entire house. Now notice the verbiage. It says like a rushing wind. It doesn't mean that it was windy. Rather, it was describing a sound. Now why a wind? You see, wind has a rich biblical history. The Lord spoke to Job through a whirlwind in Job chapter 38 verse 1. In John chapter 3, Jesus is having a conversation with a Jewish priest named Nicodemus. And Jesus likened the movement of the wind with the Spirit of God. In Hebrew, the Greek words wind and breath can also mean spirit. And they're used interchangeably. And next, it says that divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. In the Old Testament, God's presence is often associated with fire. His fiery presence would fill the temple. In Exodus 3, 2, the Lord appears to Moses in the burning bush. Uh, In Exodus 13, the Lord guides the Israelites during their exodus from the Egyptian slavery by a pillar of fire. Hebrews 12, 29 says that our God is a consuming fire. You see, God's presence and holiness are meeting the believers in tongues of fire. So tongues of fire indicates the shape of the fire. Tongue-shaped fire. So don't think their, their hair was on fire. It was something they saw. Now, what does all this mean? This moment is significant because prophecy is being fulfilled. The people of God longed for the day that they would experience the presence of God the way the men and women of God experienced him in the Old Testament. I, I love this story that I, that I heard a while back. It, it kind of plays out like this. You know, imagine you're having a, a conversation with Moses and, and you ask Moses, Moses, what was it like to go up to the mountain and behold the glory of God? What was it like to stand before him and experience the person and presence of God? And if Moses could answer, he would say something like this. What was it like to never come down from the mountain? What was it like to never leave the presence of God? Church, this is the type of intimacy and access towards God that has been made available to us because of Jesus. We have a relationship with God that Moses or other Bible characters of the Old Testament never had. You see, Moses had to go to the mountain to experience God's presence. Priests had to go into the temple to behold the presence and glory of God. But from this moment on, in Acts chapter 2, Christians become the temple of God. 
The God of the universe dwells within us through his spirit. God's fiery presence coming into the room and resting not on the building, but on the people. In other words, God's fire resting on each believer is a sign that believers are the new temples. The Lord is residing in each believer the way he resided in the sanctuary, in the temple, in the holy of holies. This is the type of intimacy we have with God. Now, why does this matter? This matters because you and I were designed by God to be filled with his presence, to be indwelt with his presence. You are created in his image to be filled with his image, not created in his image to be filled with other stuff. You see, he made a way for us to experience him and be filled with him. And yet, instead of being filled with the presence of God, we fill ourselves with other things, with lesser things. And as long as we continue to do that, we are restricting ourselves, we are holding ourselves back from becoming all that God has called us to be. Because it's not until God resides in you and you're experiencing a personal relationship with him that the person who designed you can call you to become all that he's designed you to be. And as long as we fill this temple with lesser things, we're shortchanging ourselves and all that God's called us to be. You see, we fill our temples, our bodies, with things that we believe will give us power, identity, joy, and happiness. Things like money, possessions, broken relationships, or substances that we believe will elevate our lives, all of which will leave you thirsty for more. You see, but God in his kindness, in his goodness, when he saw you running to a thousand different places and a thousand different things, trying to fill this God-shaped hole with earthly things, met you right where you are and extended to you what you desperately needed and what you've always wanted, a personal relationship with him. You see, upon accepting Christ, this is your portion. This is your identity. God lives inside of you. But often we're being consumed and filled with other things besides God. And for this very reason, the New Testament teaches on being refilled with God's presence and power. In fact, there are many New Testament references for the filling of the Spirit. You see, this wasn't just one occurrence. It was supposed to happen multiple times passages like Luke 1 through uh, 15, uh, Acts 2, 4, we just read, uh, Acts 6, 3, moments all over the book of Acts where, where believers have received the Holy Spirit, but they're, in, they're, they're being refilled by the Holy Spirit. Why? To do the work of Jesus, to make much of Jesus Christ, and to walk in all that God's called them to be. You see, there are many New Testament references to the filling of the Spirit, and, and all of them kind of uh, use this language of, of, of drinking. For example, uh, Ephesians 5.18 says this, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. 
there are, other, there are two other references that link drinking or drunkenness with this idea. One is in Luke 15 and another is in Acts 13. Both have to do with influence upon a person resulting in a significant character change. You see, a drunken person is easily identified by acting in an uncharacteristic way. I don't care who you are, okay? I don't care if you're that guy that goes to the square and be like, I can go all night and I never change. That's kind of weird, bro. Don't do that, okay? You're taking in a substance that's altering your character. In, in the same way, when we take in the Spirit of God, the Spirit transforms the Christian to the character of Christ. And with both influences, they're, they're related to a choice that's being made. A person chooses to consume alcohol excessively to become drunk. In the same way, Paul putting this in a form of a command implies that being filled with the Spirit is a choice we make to yield ourselves to his positive influence. In other words, the Spirit of God is available to us to drink from, to fill ourselves with. And the more we do that, the more we take on the character of Christ. Likewise, the same way we take on any sort of substances or lifestyle change, our life begins to change and model said thing. Now, here's what's interesting to notice in both influences. They both can wear off. The drunken person eventually sobers up unless he takes in more alcohol. And since Christians are still sinful on this side of heaven, we turn away from the Spirit's positive influence and we seek to control our own lives. We seek to fill ourselves with other things. That's why the scripture says, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not a once for all occurrence, but something we need to do continually. The filling of the Spirit is relying upon his indwelling influence to empower us to live like Christ. Now, this is something that I've put into practice in my own life. And and it's this simple. I say, God, I am so incapable of having a positive attitude uh, for this meeting. Holy Spirit, fill me so I can be like Christ. Father, I feel my sin flesh wanting to take over. Holy Spirit, come empower me so that I can be like Jesus in this moment. Right before I got, I was preaching, I said, Holy Spirit, fill me. I am so inadequate to preach the word. Be with me. And God is so faithful to his promise. We see that Acts 2. God has a promise-keeping nature. He is faithful to fill us with his presence. And by faith, we walk as if he has done it. This is the type of life God has made available for you. So, so friend, family, brother, sister, if you feel like your Christianity is dry, be refilled. If you feel like, like your Christianity is Moses on the mountain, keep getting refilled. The Lord delights in meeting you and filling you with his power and presence so that you can walk in all that he's called you to do and make much of his name. So what I want to do in this moment is I want us all to stand uh, to our feet and I'm going to pray and ask God that he would fill us with his presence. I'm going to do it for myself personally and then what I want to do wherever you are, I want to invite you to join me. 
I want you in, in your own words to ask God, Lord, meet me where I am. Fill me with your power and presence. But I want to invite you to do this first. For a lot of us, and myself included, there's other things in the temple. There's other things that are consuming us. There's other things that are occupying the throne room of our hearts. And what the Lord invites us to do is, is simply repent. To say, Lord, I, I, I choose to lay down these things that I've been trying to fill myself with to experience the highest quality of life, to experience freedom or, or identity. I want you to invite in your own words to, to lay those things down. And when you do, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, come fill me with your power and presence so that I can become more like you. Let's all pray together. Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you that you have made available for us the gift of the Holy Spirit. You said that it is better for you to leave so that you can leave us with the Holy Spirit so that we could always have your presence and power with us. Lord, we thank you for going to the cross, dethroning the idols and powers and addictions that have a control over our lives, and in exchange, giving us freedom. Lord, we accept that. Lord, right now we just take a moment to repent and lay down things that are occupying this temple. Now let's take a moment to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us with his power and presence. Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name with a firm assurance and boldness and confidence that when we ask to be filled with your power and presence, you will give us the good gift of the Holy Spirit. You are not a bad father who gives us a snake or a rock. You give us yourself. So Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your power and presence. Lord, we thank you for being so kind and so gracious towards us. Lord, help us. Holy Spirit, help us to live upon complete dependency on you. Let us not rely on lesser things. Let us not turn to other idols and false gods, Lord, but help us to set our eyes on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 